Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Good morning, church. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. And the God that we sang about, the God in the Bible, is the same God that reaches into our lives today. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're living in the tomorrows of the Bible world, and God is the same. And today we're going to look at this. We are glad you're here and joining us, and those of you online. Thank you for coming and being a part of our Easter services today because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Our story begins in the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 12 with a story of three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was the father. He moved from a land into a land that God promised him. It was the promised land. He was a very religious man, a very godly man, a very good man. He had a son named Isaac who took a while, but he caught on fairly quickly and also was a good man. Isaac had a son named Jacob who was not a good man. I don't know if there's anyone here who had a godly grandmother or grandfather, maybe a godly uncle or father, or brother, or sister, and you didn't quite get it. You've kind of gone the other way. There are people like that all the time. Just because you're born in a good family and born in a godly family doesn't mean that you are godly yourselves. And so Jacob stole everything he ever had. Back then when you inherited things, you didn't inherit land and stocks. You inherited a blessing. Everybody had land. There was plenty of land around. So there wasn't a, um, an inheritance of a piece of property. And they didn't live in houses. They lived in tents. So what you would inherit was a blessing. Jacob stole the blessing from his brother who was older, Esau, that Jacob was going to give to Esau, and he stole it. So Jacob stole from his father. Jacob stole the birthright and the blessing from his brother. So he had to escape. So he went north to an uncle. Turns out he gets married, has a couple of wives, a couple of concubines, and he starts stealing from his uncle. 
Jacob's not a good guy. We all think Jacob was a great guy, but everything he had, he stole. Well, it came about that he had to leave the land of his uncle because there was all kinds of conflict. Now think about it, this is 2,000 years before Christ. We're living 2,000 years after Christ. He was living 2,000 years before Christ. This is a long time ago, 4,000 years ago. So Jacob comes back and he realizes, I think about halfway back, he's got to meet his brother. The brother who he had stolen from years ago. Now since that time, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter and thousands of animals and thousands of excuse me, sheep and rams and all kinds of cattle. And so he's coming down a couple hundred miles from where he was staying at his uncle's place back to the promised land that God had promised his grandfather years before. And he's coming back and he hears that Esau is coming towards him. Now Esau came with an army. Esau had assembled these small little armies like city-state type armies, and he's coming to the north, Jacob's coming to the south, and Jacob decided, I gotta do something about this. I don't know if you've ever been in conflict with someone, but a good thing to do if you're in conflict with someone is send them a gift card before you go meet them. Send them her flowers, send them chocolates, do something to butter them up a little bit. So this is what Jacob does. Jacob takes some of his animals and some of his herdsmen and puts them out a couple miles ahead and says, when you see my brother, give him everything and say it's a gift from me. Then about a half a mile behind that or so, he does it again. Then a half a mile behind that, he does it again. Three groups of animals that he's gonna give to his brothers, trying to butter him up. Then he took his four wives, he actually had two legal wives and two concubines, and put their children with him. So wife, couple children, wife, couple children. Then at the end was Rachel, his beloved wife, with Joseph and Benjamin. He figured by that time, if he was killing all these people, there was no hope. So he sent them all ahead, knowing tomorrow would be the day that this was gonna happen. There was a creek there, a little brook. He stayed on the north side of the brook, sent everybody else on the south side. Kind of a chicken, isn't he? I mean, really, you're gonna send your kids to do your work for a problem you did before they were even born. I know a lot of people who do this. They send others in their place. So Jacob is there by himself. He's sleeping on a rock. Someone wakes him up. It's the angel of the Lord. It may have been Jesus Christ himself. I don't know. And they start fighting each other and wrestling each other and working with each other. And at the end of the night, the angel said to Jacob, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have striven with God and with men and you have prevailed. It was that night that Jacob found God, that God came to him and showed him who he was. You see, God speaks to people. He went from being a deceiver to the father Israel. Now think about it. 4,000 years ago, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. What do we call the land today? What? Israel. 4,000 years later, we're still using this guy's name who was nothing but a deceiver for his first 60 years of his life. But when God got a hold of him, it's amazing. God spoke to Jacob. And can I say, God speaks to us. It is the same God that worked with Jacob 4,000 years ago that I met this morning in my prayer time. And hopefully you did too. And it's the same God we were singing about a few moments ago. The story continues on from 2,000 years before Christ to 500 years before Christ. A man named Moses, you know the story of Moses? 
Moses was born not into, uh, well, he was born into a good family, but he had to be given away. And so he was given into Pharaoh's house. So he was adopted by the um, pagan king, the Pharaoh, emperor of Egypt. And for 40 years, he was there. And then at some point in time, we're not totally sure of how, he realized he was Jewish, that he was a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the children of Israel were to the north. They were slaves. You've seen the pyramids. You've seen the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. Most likely, those were built by the slave Israelites. And Moses go up there to be with his people. He's 40 years old. He sees something he doesn't like, and he kills a man. This was not a good way to start this thing, this change from being in Pharaoh's court to being a Jewish person. He kills someone and realizes he's going to be thrown into prison or thrown into a dungeon or killed himself. So he runs away into the desert, into the Sinai, what we would call now today the Sinai Peninsula, which is between Egypt and Israel today. And he's there for 40 years. Now think about it. He was 40 years old. Now he's 40 more years, for 80 years. Now he's 80 years old, and he had been a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. And one day, he's walking at the base of the big mountain Sinai, and there's a bush which caught on fire, which is not unusual. The kinetic energy in a desert causes these small little fires all the time. So he wasn't too worried about a little fire with a little bush. Starts walking, and the bush starts talking to him. And he's talking to him. And he realizes that it's God. And God tells him to go back to Egypt, where he hasn't been in 40 years, go back and take my people, God's people, out of Egypt back to the promised land. And Moses says, how can I do this? I can't even talk. I haven't talked in 40 years, except to my wife, my two kids, and a few shepherds. I can't talk in front of the most powerful man in the world, who was probably his stepbrother, if not a stepbrother, it would have been a stepnephew at this time. How can I go back to him and do that? And God said, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you your brother, Aaron, who is a very good speaker, and I'm going to give you a rod. That rod, I'm going to give it to you, that staff, and with that, you're going to do great things with me. And he went back. And you know the story. It's an amazing story. He went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And then what happened? The river turned to blood. There were gnats. There were, what, boils. There were frogs. There were locusts. There was death. All these things going on, plague after plague. And Pharaoh, after every one of them, said no. You know, I would think Pharaoh would have kind of gotten the idea that maybe I should let these people go. But he didn't. Tenth plague was this, the plague of the death of the firstborn. Now, just as an aside... We have different calendars in the world. The Muslims use one calendar, the Christian uses another, the Jews use another, but every once in a while they kind of come together. And this weekend, Passover and Easter have come together, haven't they? If you celebrate Passover, I wish you a happy Passover. But this is what the Passover was about. It was the death angel was gonna come to every single home. Jew, Egyptian, Gentile, stranger was gonna come to every home and kill the firstborn unless you killed and slaughtered a lamb, took the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the side post, and when the angel came to your house, he would pass over it. 
That's where the name Passover comes from, the name that's been celebrated for 3,500 years in the Jewish community, and we who are Christians celebrated as well because we believe Jesus Christ is also the Passover lamb. And so the lamb passed over. I mean, the death angel passed over those who had the blood from the lamb. And finally, the Pharaoh said, you can go. Moses said, and he had already said, I left this out, be ready to go when you do the Passover because he's going to let us go. And he did. He let them go. Now, for some reason, I don't know, maybe Moses had a brain block or whatever, he forgot that there was an ocean or a sea between Egypt and Israel. It wasn't called Israel back then, but Israel then, and it was called the Red Sea. So all these hundreds of thousands of people leave, and they leave quickly, and they go, and they end up at the sea. Now think about it. A few people could have swum across. They might have had a barge or two, but hundreds of thousands of people and their animals could not cross the sea. Meanwhile, the Pharaoh changed his mind and didn't want to let them go. So he comes with his army towards them. So here they are, they're stuck, the, the sea is behind them. Pharaoh's is coming down over the hill with all his chariots, and God stopped it. He put a cloud there so that they were stuck. They couldn't leave, and some fire there as well. And the people were complaining, what are you gonna do, Moses? What are you gonna do? And you know what the Lord did? The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night long and made the sea dry ground. And the waters were divided. Exodus chapter 14 tells us this. And so the people went through the Red Sea and all, some think it was as many as 2 million people, I don't know, but at least hundreds of thousands of people, men, women, children, elderly, babies are coming through, their animals, their carts on dry ground and they get through. The cloud lifts, here comes Pharaoh, he's coming, he's in the water, he's coming. And all of a sudden, God brought them back, the waters, and they were no more. Did Pharaoh die? I don't know, but the chariots were lost. Think about it. Moses went from being a murderer to a deliverer. And what do we talk about Moses? He's the deliverer. And what do we learn from this? God provides for us. God provided for the children of Israel, even when they were complaining, God provided for Moses. And can I say God provides for you and me? We are provided for. God speaks to us. God provides for us as well. The story moves on to about 1000 BC with the most famous story in the Old Testament. It's the story of what? David and Goliath, the big versus the small. What we need to understand is that Israel was now conformed into a country and it was doing well, but there were little countries that didn't like it and would come in and battle them. One of them were the Philistines. Now, here's what's interesting. The Philistines are from the area of Gaza. Did you read your newspaper yesterday or your your news feed on your phone? There are problems in Gaza today in Israel. It's the exact same place. Some things never changed. 3,500 years later, there are still problems in the land of Israel with the people of Gaza. They're not called Philistines, they're called Palestinians, but there is still conflict and problems. So here was the conflict. The Philistines came into Israel. 
The Israelites came from over what was in Jerusalem. It wasn't called that then, but from Jerusalem, there was a valley. The valley was called the Valley of Elah. There were mountains or hills, really, probably um, 500, 750 feet high, all the way across a ridge. And all the Philistines were there. And over here were all the Israelites, about the same. It's a beautiful place. It's a place you can see. It's a great place for a battle. But both of them were about equal. And they knew if they went into battle, they would kill each other and no one would win. And it would just be a lose-lose situation. So the Philistines had a big giant whose name was Goliath. And Goliath would come down every morning because there'd be scouts down here from both sides, kind of making sure the other wasn't going to ambush them. And they're down there and he'd come down and taunt the scouts and say, why don't one of you fight me? And let's not have the armies fight. We'll just do one fight. Goliath against one of you Israelites, and let's fight it out. And whoever wins, wins. And they would run back up the hill, scared to death. And this happened day after day after day after day. Well, David was the youngest son of Jesse, seven boys. The two oldest were in the army. David was a shepherd boy. Wow, we got Jacob the shepherd, Moses the shepherd, David the shepherd, and he's a shepherd boy in Bethlehem, 16 miles away. Dad says, take some food, for your brothers, take some food for the generals and go see how my boys are doing. So David leaves the sheep with some of the other helpers, walks 16 miles, which is about a day or a day and a half. He gets to Elah sometime in the early morning, just as Goliath was coming down the hill. And there's Goliath. And here's all these people starting to scurry back up. And David's going, who's gonna fight this man? And everybody said, no one. And David said, I'll fight him. Well, his brothers were incensed by this. You know, David, they, we think, is about five foot five. Goliath was way over seven feet tall. So this is like a five foot five guy. It just couldn't happen. And the brothers say, stop it, David. You're being foolish. And David said, I'll do it. And somebody went to the king and said, there's a young guy, one of the kids, the younger brother of two of our fighters who are good fighters, and he came and Saul said, okay, you do it. So he gave him all the armor. And of course, the armor was for somebody my size and he's just dropping down and dropping down and says, forget the armor. I'm gonna go with God and my sling. Now, you know what a sling is? Now, there's two kinds of slings. The kind I grew up with, they're more like a wrist rocket. The kind that is a Y and you go like this and you let it go and it goes through the Y and hits the target. We would do pellets, we would do rocks growing up. I had wrist rockets, taught my boys about wrist rockets. That is not what we're talking about here. He had a sling that was a long piece of twine with a leather flap with another long piece of twine. You put a rock in it and you start swinging it like this. And then all of a sudden you let one side go. I've tried this. I've been in Israel, I'd take a little boy's sling and try it. And mine would go this way and then they would go this way and then they would go that way and then they'd fall in front of me. But remember, he was a shepherd. What do shepherds do? They sit. I mean, waiting for a jackal or a hyena, but they don't come all that often. And so they sit. That's why David wrote psalms and wrote songs and did all these beautiful things. But he also learned how to use a sling. And he's flicking that sling. And then he also said to the king, I've killed a lion with my bare hands. I've killed a bear with my bare hands because my sheep are more important. So he went out there. And the Bible says, David put his hand into his bag and pulled out a rock and slung it 
and struck the Philistine, the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face on the ground. 1 Samuel 17 says that. David took a stone and killed what is reputed as one of the biggest warriors who ever lived. He went from being a shepherd boy to a mighty warrior. Do you know God can do that with you? Don't look at your height. Don't look at how much money you have. Don't look at your other things. You plus God is a mighty warrior. You minus God are running up and down hills afraid. But you plus God is a mighty warrior. Why? Because God gives us strength. God gives us courage. God gave David strength and courage. From Jacob, he spoke to him. From Moses, he provided. For David, he gave him strength. Now let's come closer to the story of the day. And there's Mary. Remember Mary? Mary was probably 15 years old when we are introduced to her. And an angel comes to her, and she is afraid. I'd be afraid too if an angel came to me. She is scared to death. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Luke chapter one tells us. This is amazing because she had never known a man. She was a virgin. And yet the angel came to her from being fearful She was chosen. Do you realize God chooses us? And we go, well, Mary's Mary. I'm not Mary. She's the best. Well, no. Yeah, she's better than I am, no doubt about it. But please understand that God chooses us. God takes us from fear and chooses us. Why? Because God hears us when we are afraid. Have you ever prayed when you are afraid? Let's go back to David. David wrote all those Psalms, and David was a good guy, but he made a lot of mistakes. And he was chased by a lot of people. Psalm chapter 40 says that David cried out to God and he inclined his ear to David. Do you know what inclining your ear means? Those of you who are younger don't get it. But if you are older, you know that if you put your hand up to your ear, it becomes like a sounding board, right? Old people in the room. If you want to hear something, you go like this and you can hear it better. It's called inclining your ear. God inclines his ear to us. And Psalm 40 says that he took David out of a miry pit and put him on a rock. And when he put him on a rock, he just didn't sit him on a rock and said, you're out of the pit. He gave him hope and a song of joy, Psalm 40 tells us. It's a beautiful picture. God is not here just to get us out of the pit, but God is here to give us hope and to give us joy. And that's what he did with David. And that's what he did with Mary. It's beautiful because Mary wrote this incredible song. We don't have time to get in it in Luke chapter one. Come back at Christmas time and I'll tell you all about it, but we're here at Easter. So the the story changes now. The storyline is God is coming and working with people. God is working with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is working with Moses. God is working with David. But now God's working with Mary. It's a little different. Why? Because God sent his son. God made a choice of not just coming and speaking and providing and helping, but to send his son. And he sent his son to Bethlehem. 
This is a little different. Think about it. Today, Bethlehem is well-known. You know about it. The whole world knows about it. It's always in conflict between various people as well. But back then, it was just a little village. Nobody knew Bethlehem. It was like, I won't say a town because you might be from that town, so I'll be careful. I always get in trouble when I name a small town like Deerfield or something. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But it's a small town. And no one knew where it was. And while they were there, it's interesting, they came from Nazareth and came down because of a whole series of circumstances. The Bible says, and while they were there, she gave birth. And when she gave birth to the firstborn, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lied him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. God sent his son. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his son his only son. And from this little Bethlehem was born the king. It's an amazing picture. God didn't come to Jerusalem. God didn't come to Rome. God didn't come to Babylon. God didn't come to Egypt. God came through Bethlehem. I find a lot of encouragement in that because I go, I'm not that big. You're not that big. God wants to speak to you. God spoke to Mary in Nazareth, which was even a smaller village than Bethlehem was. And here's the point. God sent his son. Now, the story is that he grew up and he gave great sermons and great miracles. And we have it. It's called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what's interesting in the Gospels, Jesus would always say, my time is not here yet. He would do things like say, my hour is not here yet. And I always wonder, what does that mean? He's here, he's giving good sermons, but his hour is not here. Can I give you an example of this? Let me just digress for a moment. When I was in college, I wanted to play college NCAA basketball. Now I'm tall, but when you watch March Madness, these people are really tall. So I went to a school, an inner city school in Chicago that had a good basketball team, and I made the team, but I was the 12th player. Now, if you know basketball, there's five players. So the first five play, players six to nine substitute in, players one to five, and players 10, 11, and 12 are the guys that are holding the towels behind the front row when they come off. You ever see the guys throwing the towels to the guys who are hot and sweaty? And I realized I would be throwing towels at people for four years. This did not work for me. So I stopped playing basketball in a organized way, but I still loved the game. And so I played every day, pretty much five days a week. And I went down to a YMCA because the school gym was being used by all the teams. So I went down and it was an inner city. It was a 20 story YMCA. I didn't know those existed. And it was where on off season where the Chicago Bulls played. Every afternoon, the former Bulls, uh, former college students from DePaul and University of Illinois and Purdue, Chicago would all be there to play, and I was playing with them. I'm thinking, I can't play NCAA, but I can play against the pros. So I got there, and I remember the first time I was there, they practiced for about a half hour by shooting and blocking and doing different things. And you know what? I was as good as they were. It was an amazing thing. I was as good. I could block the NBA players' shots. I could run faster than them. I did it. And then they blew the whistle. <laughs> and when the whistle blew, these people turned into superhumans. <laughs> I finally had to sit, go on the sidelines because I realized I was in the middle of some magic. 
It was unbelievable. You see, when the whistle blew, their time had come. And there was a point in time on this very week that the whistle blew and Jesus said, my hour has come. He didn't just be, he wasn't just the best guy who was a rabbi. There were a lot of rabbis. He wasn't just the only guy who ever said he was the Messiah. There was people saying that all the time, come follow me. There were people who actually did miracles. Jesus' miracles were much bigger than theirs, but they could do little things as well. But when his time had come, when that whistle blew, and that was in the Palm Sunday week, as it coming towards Easter, when that whistle blew, all things changed. And Jesus said, my time is here, and I have come to be crucified and to die. Please understand this. If you're Jewish, the Jewish people didn't kill Jesus. If you're Roman, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. If you're whomever, you didn't kill Jesus. Can I tell you who killed Jesus? Jesus allowed himself to be killed because the Bible says he could have walked away, but he came because of each of us. And in some small part, it was because of me that he was on that cross. In some small part, it was because of you, because Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. And in the world is Bill, and in the world is you. Jesus came to die for you. And he was put up on that cross. And when Jesus had received some of that sour wine, you know the story, they had tried to feed him and tried to give him stuff, and he kept pushing it away. He said these words, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. John chapter 19 tells us that. What happened? The innocent Jesus, the son of God, took on guilt so that we who are guilty could become innocent. Please understand that. Jesus did not deserve to die of any human being ever. He did not deserve to die and should not have died because he had never sinned. Sin is what causes death. He shouldn't have. So he allowed himself to die as an innocent to take on the guilt of the world so that we who follow him and believe in him and are guilty can become innocent. That's all this story is about. And then at the end... He went into the grave, the Bible says. He died, went into the grave, and three days later, he rose. Why? Because God loves us. And the disciples came, Mary came, and what did they say? They looked in, and there was an angel, and the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. You see, Jesus came to die for us, but then he rose again. The power of that is so amazing. Paul, the apostle, the great writer of the theology that's behind all the gospels said this, according to the scriptures, Jesus died. He was buried. Then three days later, he rose from the dead and he was seen throughout. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks, starting next week. But the Bible also says, if this did not happen, then we of all people are to be pitied. You see, either this is true or this is a bunch of malarkey and you've got to make a decision. Is this true and what is it? We've gone from death to life. Christ went from death to life and here's the point of it all. Christ is our savior or Christ is not your savior. 
You have to make the decision because the Bible says, for by faith you have been saved. Not by works. It is the grace of God that has caused this. Now, what does this mean? 40 years ago next month, I will, Elizabeth and I will have been married 40 years. 40 years ago, we got married. We're not talking about Job, but she has the patience of Job. She comes from the old world. I don't. I came from the world that you dated. The Karams never dated. You don't date. What you do is the man goes and talks to the father one-on-one in a closed room. Well, she, in her house, they had a family room that had a door to it. I don't like doors in family rooms anymore. (laughs) I, I can't even get it out. We walked in, her father and mother and me, slammed the door behind, and we had a long conversation, long conversation, before I was allowed to court her. Never dated her, we courted. Don't ask the difference, it's for another day. Come to our marriage seminar and we'll tell you about it. When I left there, he treated me really well, but he didn't treat me as a son because I wasn't a son. I was only courting his daughter. I was interested in his daughter. And can I tell you, everyone in this room is interested in the Bible, or you wouldn't be here, or interested in the cross, or you wouldn't be here, interested in Easter, or you wouldn't be here, or at least interested in someone who's interested in it. They invited you. But can I tell you, that does not make you a family member of God. It was not until six months later that I made a commitment to his daughter that I became his son. Do you see that? When I committed to his daughter, I became his son. I was adopted into the family. Not because I spoke nice things and not because I gave her flowers and took her out to dinner and did good things with her. No, that's all good. But that did not make me a family member until I made a commitment to her. And can I tell you, you are not a member of the family of God until you make a commitment to Jesus Christ. It is not about coming to church. It's not about coming with friends. It's not about being born in a good family like Jacob was born in a good family. It's about knowing who Jesus Christ is and believing in him. Now, what does that mean? Very simply this. Let me just give you four closing thoughts really quick. God created us for a reason. He created people for a reason. This morning, I saw one of the most beautiful sunrises I've seen in a long time. God created that sunrise, but he didn't create it for, I mean, he created us because he wanted relationship. All this other beauty is fantastic. He wanted relationship with people. He built a garden. He put people in it. And you know what? Those people sinned. Now, we can all blame Adam and Eve for the sin, but can I tell you what? I have sinned, and you have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short. So here we have God in perfection wants to have us, but we have a problem, and that is we sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What that means is there are only two people who can pay for your sin. I can't pay for your sin. You can pay for your sin, or Jesus can pay for your sin. That's it. Those are the options. You want to go to God and stand in front of him someday and kind of go, I did a great job. I don't think that's going to work. In fact, I know it's not going to work. 
Or do you come and go, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. You see, God created this incredible plan for relationship. We have each fallen short. We can't blame Adam. We can't blame Eve. We can't blame Moses. We can't blame Jacob. We got to say we have fallen short. But God has provided a way, and that's what Easter is about. The way is Jesus Christ. Please understand that we don't just come up here and sing great songs, and they are great songs. We don't come up here and do good sermons. The words are fine. We don't even come up here just to read the Bible. The Bible's great. We are here to tell you that you need to have a relationship to Jesus Christ. And the way to do that is the fourth thing. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin, which then allows you to have relationship back with God. And can I tell you, the same God that gave Jacob a relationship, the same God that gave Moses a relationship, that gave David a relationship, that gave Mary a relationship, is the same God that can give you a relationship back to him. And it comes through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The everlasting life is relationship to God. And here's the point. The next verse says, God did not send his son to condemn the world. We believe, some of us think, oh, God is just here pointing his finger. I don't like you. You guys are bad. You guys are bad. Point and point and point. I know I'm not supposed to point my finger, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's what we think. But God sent not a son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. My friend, the only way to have relationship to God Almighty is through the Son, Jesus Christ. In just a moment, Jeremiah is going to sing a song. He's 14 years old. He's unbelievable. But don't listen to him. Listen to the words. And I'm going to stand down here, and I'm going to look at all of you. That's not easy. I'm going to stand down here by myself and look at you. And I would like you, if you want to believe in Jesus Christ, two possibilities for the first time, or you want to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've taken the long and winding road like Jacob, and you need to come back to Jesus. I just want you to come forward. A couple people will be here. I'm going to stand here. I just want you to come to me. I'm going to pray with you for a moment. And don't be embarrassed. There are a thousand people in this room. I don't care. Just pretend it's me and you and come on forward. We had many people come forward in the earlier service and I would like you to come because today would be an incredible day, Easter 2022, that you recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Let's sing and you come to me.